You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks, we are back, and we have a great one for you tonight. You know, we celebrated last week with episode 600, and we, you know, after the show, you should have seen the after show party, folks. It was amazing. I think my liver is still trying to recover from that one. It It was a blast. And, you know, we thought we need to settle down a little bit and let's watch a simple you know cartoon let's watch something animated and you know mike suggested the 20th anniversary of spirited away and my god folks i was blown away with this one this was my first time watching it and it's going to be a ton of fun to watch tonight and you know and i want to thank the man who is my co-host for tonight as always mr mike gordon for suggesting this tonight this was awesome. Howdy. Yeah, well, you know, after that, you know, huge after party where, you know, man, so many celebrities, so many people dropped by. It was crazy. Almost everyone uh, who was ever in the geek seat showed up. It was amazing. Um, and a lot of people who weren't. Um, uh, but <laughs> the people we wish were in the geek seat showed up. <laughs> exactly. At least we thought um, they did. <laughs> but yeah, um, this has been, you know, um, look, I mean, I think. Anybody who listens to the show knows that we are not at all experts on anime. Uh, no, at all. No, um, no, not at all. We, I, I have personally dipped my toe into it a little bit, um, and we'll talk about it a little bit later when we get have our movie crew here and talk about our experience with um, uh, Miyazaki's work as well as anime in general. Um, so we're not really experts, but you know when something like this happens. Uh, you know, where there's an anniversary and uh, it's a good excuse to pull out a DVD or whatever. Um, and all these movies, uh, a lot of the Studio Ghibli movies are now available, or Ghibli rather, are available on um, uh, HBO Max now. So they're really accessible. And um, I think it's a, he's a filmmaker and it's a studio that needs to have more attention drawn to them. And uh, I, I'd like to help out in any way I can. So, so yeah, this is a great topic for us. It's a little bit unusual. Like I said, we don't usually do this. So I think Ashley, another part of our movie crew, is not really that familiar with anime as well. So, so it's a new experience for us. Uh, but we've got uh, a couple people to um, that know their stuff. I think so. They're going to join us, and it's going to be a fun time. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk about this one, and it makes Dragon Con look a lot more real, real for me because I've seen so many. You're like, Oh my God, that's how I, I get that reference now. It's, it's the faceless ones <laughs> that makes so much, so sen- much sense. <laughs> and I've Mr. seen nobody. Some, oh yeah. Mr. Nobody was awesome. But then, um, no, also, face. no face, no face. And then also, of course I've seen people dressed up as, you know, I've seen people dressed up as, um, what what was it? Um, big baby or the the baby? Oh right, right, yeah, yeah. I've seen people dressed up like that. I've seen, and I've seen you know few people dressed up as so many other characters in this, and it was it was just awesome. And we'll yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Those people who know and and really appreciate Miyazaki are 
uber fans and now you can sort of understand why i think this, this movie is a really good introduction into what he brings to the table as a filmmaker and as a fantasy storyteller so um i think it's gonna be a lot of fun so i'm looking forward to it and it's appropriate you know we just finished the countdown to halloween we finished halloween we still got some spirits roaming around so what better you know what better movie to choose than spirited away Oh, very much so. And it was fun. And we definitely would love to hear from you, too. Have you seen this movie? Why not? Why haven't you seen this one? And, you know, please write us feedback at earthstation1.com. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. And definitely, now more than ever, we need you to tell people about us. Please tell us, you know, tell your friends, tell your neighbors. Say, you know, hey, Earth Station One, it's a great podcast. And, you know, I listen to it up on iTunes. I listen to it on Google, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever fine podcasts are found. And you, too, can listen to it. And, you know, while you're doing that, why not give us a five-star rating? That would help with our numbers, too, because, you know, folks, after 600 episodes, I think it's time that we, you know, take it to the next level and have more people find out about us or have our new slaying, the biggest podcast no one's ever listened to. It's awesome. You know, I think that's going to be the new saying for Earth Station One. Also, a big shout out to the ESO Network Patreon people. Our patrons are our biggest folks that we you know love and support and who help love and support us. And for as little as a dollar a month, you too can support the ESO Network. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO Network and you too can hear really cool exclusive material shows, including possibly a new ESO show coming very soon to the uh, Patreon. Pretty cool. On top of Board Silly, which is always the ESO board members just talking each month about what's going on in their lives or just being gosh darn silly. So the hence the name, Board Silly. And very much so, you can also hear this show a couple days before it goes out to the rest of the world or, you know what, just help support ESO because, you know, you never know. You might also get a chance to be in the geek seat. That gets even more exciting. So you never know. So all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO network and help support us. And speaking of supporting us, thank you to our friends over at Tifosi Optical. Tifosi Optical is a great place for sunglasses. Yes, October is gone, November is here, but you still need sunglasses to be out in the sun because the sun is all year round, folks. And some cool stuff is going to be coming down. You have to go for those walks in the fall colors. And you know what? The best way to take it is with a pair of Tifosi sunglasses. And you, too, can get 10% off your order if you put Earth Station 1 into the coupon code. That's TifosiOptics.com. Tell them Earth Station 1 sent you. And now we're here with f- new friend of the show, actor Michael Lloyd. Welcome to Earth Station 1. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, welcome to the station. Uh, for those people who may not be familiar with you, tell us a little bit about what, what you do. Uh, so my name is Michael Lloyd. I am an actor. I live in New Orleans and I have done a variety of work from NCIS New Orleans into the Badlands, Scream Queens, and now most recently, uh, Queen of the South. Awesome. Awesome. How long have you been, uh, how long has the acting bug, uh, bit you? When did it, when did it first, uh, was it in the, when you were really young or? Actually, yeah. Uh, so I started acting in high school. My freshman year of high school, I started doing theater and drama. And the very first thing I ever did was a school rendition of The Little Rascals. And I ended up landing the role of Alfalfa. 
Because apparently nice. I was the only one that could make my ears wiggle. I couldn't quite make them <laughs> wiggle like his, but <laughs> yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And I did it for all four years of high school, but because I didn't see it as a sustainable job or a career, I didn't think to pursue mm-hmm. it outside of high school and ended up enlisting in the Marine Corps instead. Mm, awesome. Awesome. How long were you in the, in the Corps? Uh, I was in the Marine Corps from 2010 to November of 2013 and was medically discharged. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for your service. That's uh, pretty awesome. Um, and so you get out of the service and, and now did you do any acting while you were in the, in the Marines? Mm-mm. Did you get to scratch that itch at all? While I was in the Marine Corps, no, I, I didn't pursue any acting while I was in the Corps. I didn't get that opportunity, you know, between training and everything. But when I was mm-hmm. on my way out of the Marine Corps was when I needed to figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Because I already planned on being in the military for, for life. And on my way out, I ended up settling on the sales. And after about a year you know, going back home to Tucson, Arizona and doing sales. My mom, who had been living in New Orleans for a few years at that time, said she knew a guy that could get me a job on security uh, for film and TV sets. And I thought that, that was really cool. So I gave it a shot. So packed everything in my Honda Civic and drove across country from Arizona to New Orleans in 2015 and started working background. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. And that's, yeah, that's a good way to get in the door, so to speak. Um, and, uh, I didn't realize there was a lot of stuff. You mentioned a few shows. I didn't realize there was that stuff, uh, that many, that much stuff shot in New Orleans. Yeah. You'd be really surprised. Actually, they even call it Hollywood South out here because of how much filming is done. It's like its own region of Hollywood, if you will, you know, 12 right. years of slave was done here. I believe Django Unchained was done out here. Uh, the Purge was done out here. Terminator Salvation was done out here. Planet of the Apes was done out here. I have been done that has brought in a lot of money and tax incentives to the city, which has actually helped rebuild the city after Katrina. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, and one of the shows that you mentioned, out of all the ones you mentioned, the one that I, I watched uh, almost religiously was uh, In the Badlands. Uh, that was a pretty incredible, uh, different show. Um, what was your role in that and how, what was it like being on the set for that? I was one of the clippers. Uh, so if you're a fan of the show, you should know what a clipper is. They're mm-hmm. one of the goons, the grunts, if you will. Um, and it was really interesting because it was the first one where they actually had us in a group and eliminated us if we couldn't perform the martial arts tasks that they had for us. Ah. So there's this big opening scene. Uh, I don't remember which episode it is, but there's like this opening scene to what looks like a mansion, but it's actually on a plantation out in Vatry, just outside of New Orleans. And I was in this group of, of guys doing these, you know, training Kung Fu uh, mm-hmm. movements and so I was one of the few that was able to get through. I think that was one of the few times that my Marine Corps <laughs> mixed martial arts actually translated into the civilian world. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny you say that because I was thinking, I'm like, I wonder if there's any skills that you picked up in the Marines that are helping you with your acting process. It's not often, but every now and again, it helps. Uh, like there was this one time I was on Jack Reacher 2 and they need 
want to drive the Humvee and I'm actually a licensed Humvee driver in the Marine Corps. So I was like, I can do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's very cool. That's very cool. Do you have, uh, you know, ambitions to, to work on any particular shows, movies? Uh, Have you done any theater? Uh, Well, aside from high school theater, I have not done any other theater. I Mm -hmm. decided to go into film. I think because there's just, there's a lot more that you can do with it. You know, theater is great. There's a lot of creativity that goes into it. Don't get me wrong. You know, having to transition from set to set and doing those different scenes uh, for, for a lot of those plays, especially on like Broadway or, or those bigger ones. And I would enjoy it for sure. I just think that it would be a lot cooler if I got my own, you know, like trilogy, like John Wick or something. <laughs> sure, sure. I, I, do you lean more towards uh, films more than TV, or does that not matter anymore? Uh, for me, I like it all. You know, it mm-hmm. really, I really don't have a whole lot of bias. It's just, it's either good or it's bad for me. And, you know, art is subjective. So whatever I might think is not a good film or TV show, others might disagree. That's totally fine. That's fair. They're, they're valid to their opinions, even if they're wrong. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, I think I like movies a lot, um, more than TV. TV has just kind of become one of those background noises for me to work, to work with. Are there, uh, you know, growing up or even to this day, are there any, uh, actors that you find particularly inspirational? Keanu Reeves has been a huge hero of mine, actually. Yeah. Um, okay. you know, I grew up watching Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure uh, you know, the sequel Bogus Journey obviously wasn't as great as the original, but still, still awesome. I really loved, uh, their, their third one. I think it's the third one, uh, yeah. Face to the Music, yeah. which was also filmed out here in New Orleans, by the way. Wow. Okay. I did not know that. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, so they did that out here on a sound stage in a studio. And, uh, he's just, been one of those guys that I look up to because even with all the fame and fortune that he has, he's still very, very humble. He's very humble, still uses public transportation. In fact, I think he's more green than some of the celebrities that protest about going green, you know, which is so (laughs) ironic to me. But Uh he's just being, being able to maintain that humility and just being a human being, just being a decent human being in the midst of all this popularity around the films that he does is just, that's the kind of person that I would, I would hope to be during my time. Now, now did you share a set with him during uh, John Wick? No, I I wish I did. John, uh, John Wick, I don't think was filmed out here. Bill and Ted's face. The music was filmed out here in studio, but I was not here for that one. Unfortunately, I I was really upset when I found out that they were filming out here. (laughs) I wasn't here for it. So I can see you could, you know, I, you know, for those people who don't know, they can't see you visually. I could see you being a stand in, you know, like, <laughs> maybe a younger brother, a son, maybe, I don't maybe. know. Uh, that would be something. Um, and uh, yeah, that is very cool. Cause I have uh, got that impression from Keanu as well, that uh, success hasn't gone to his head, so to speak. He's pretty much the same grounded guy that he's always been. Um, and, uh, certainly in interviews where he talks about, cause I'm a big comics guy and, uh, he just came out with a new comic uh, recently. And it, I was really pleased to know that, uh, 
he really took that medium seriously. It wasn't just a cash grab, you know, like, a, like I'm doing this to order to, to get a new franchise going, a movie going or whatever. It seemed like he was really interested in the actual um, uh, medium of comics. So I appreciated that from him as well. And, you know, he's on this, he's sort of on this Renaissance, right. Where he's all of a sudden cool again. And he's got the John Wick movies and Bill and Ted and matrix. He's, are you, are you a matrix fan? Are you looking forward Huge to this matrix fan? I'm looking, I'm super looking forward to this new one that they're coming out with. Uh, it looks super interesting where he struggles with the reality versus the matrix as if his mind has been wiped. I am I think mm. it's like the premise and that's so relevant to me because I've been having such an existential crisis lately <laughs> struggling oh. with, with my own reality. So I'm like, Oh, that's the movie for me. That will give me my clarity. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now as far as, uh, being behind the scenes, since you've got a, uh, since you get a chance to look behind the scenes, is any, any roles behind the scenes attract you as, as well? Are you mainly concentrating and focusing on, on being in front of the camera? I'm mainly focused on in front of the camera. I do have this idea for a horror screenplay though that I'm that I'm working on myself. Um dealing with like the Bermuda Triangle and and um uh, you know things like that. Because you know, not a lot of horror play horror movies take place out in the ocean a lot. And that's kinda like a big fear of mine is the ocean. Uh <laughs> mostly because there's so much of it that has not been explored. And there's just right. so many mysteries pertaining to the ocean versus space. Like, yes, yeah, space has an infinite amount of mysteries to it. But the fact that we have explored more space than we have ocean is astounding to me. And I really want to explore that and look into that. And I think that a lot of people have a fear of the ocean as well. You know, you have things like Cabin in the Woods and those slasher films that all take place and it's all stereotypical and, you know, pretty predictable. And I'm hoping to like maybe bring a game changer into into that genre uh, with this particular screenplay that I'm working on. Awesome. All right. So if listeners, our listeners wanted to check out your work, is there any particular project out there, film, TV episode that you should point people to? Like this is really outstanding. This is what I feel like is some of my best work. Uh, well, the things that you can see me look cl- most clearly uh, have been Queen of the South season five episodes mm-hmm. uh, four and six. It's a non gotcha. His name is Flacco, uh, who plays as a bodyguard in that series. And uh, the other thing that you can see me in clearly is LBJ, where I was a Secret Service agent with uh, Woody Harrelson, who played LBJ. Uh, stiff arm and doctors out of the hospital. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, those are like the two big things that you can see me in, but you might be able to catch my face in uh, Scream Queens as well as into the Badlands. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I, uh, yeah, I'm not as familiar. I mean, I'm, I've seen the ads and stuff for Queen of the South. I did not realize, does that take place in New Orleans or do they just film it there? So Queen of the South is about this woman who, uh, is from Sinaloa, Mexico, and she, uh, ends up being brought into like this drug cartel world, uh, with her boyfriend. It goes down and she is essentially forced to, you know, fight or, or fight or flight, you know, kind of thing. Uh-huh. So she ends up fighting her way to the top to essentially owning the cartel, owning the drugs and all that stuff. And they go from Mexico to Texas to New Orleans. And so it's in that little two seasons, four and five, where they're in New Orleans and they're filming that out here. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. I didn't know how, how well adaptable New Orleans was to that area to doing like things that take place in other places. I mean, into the Badlands obviously takes place in this sort of weird sort of fantasy world. So I guess that, that, uh, I don't know if it's any place specific for into the Badlands. I don't, I don't remember them I, saying anything specific. I don't remember them giving a specific uh, location either in that series. I know that's yeah. supposed to be like post-apocalyptic and weapons have been surrendered. Like there's no more weapons anywhere. So the only weapon there is is yourself kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, very cool. Well, uh, now that we found a little bit about what you've done, uh, Mike, I think it's time to find out where his passions lie. It's time to put him in the geek seat. Oh, it always comes down to that. You know, some people are like, I can handle it. I can do it. And, you know, he's from the Big Easy. So this should be a cakewalk for this guy. And he's named Michael. So how bad can it be? You know? Absolutely. You know, he has the power of Mike around him. So it's, you know, I think he's going to do fine. All right, Mr. Michael Lloyd, are you ready for your first question in the geek seat? All right. What was your favorite geek out moment? My favorite geek out moment would be when I was on Scream Queens and I got to meet Jamie Lee Curtis. She was absolute doll. And, you know, obviously like some of the first things I saw her in were true lies um, and Halloween. And I just have always loved her work and she is absolutely amazing to be around. That's awesome. That is awesome. I love hearing when people, you know, come across as nice as they seem to be because I'd actually, you know, come out with the next question we're about to ask you. (laughs) What was the most disappointing geek out moment you've ever had? Uh, The most disappointing one. Um, (laughs) Okay. Uh, I, I also do security on film and TV sets as well. And the Magnificent seven was also filmed, not necessarily in new Orleans, but, just outside of new Orleans, uh, about an hour North on this large open acre land where they built town and everything. Right. And that was with, uh, Chris Pratt, uh, Denzel Washington, Vincent Donofrio, Ethan Hawke and all them. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the set, we, when they were rapping, like they were done with the, with the movie, uh, we all got, some going away gifts. So some of the producers gave us these little shotguns that were pocket knives. Oh, um, nice. A few also gave us these commemorative magnificent seven shot glasses, which I still have. Denzel Washington gave out pamphlets to seek Jesus Christ. Um, I think that would have had to have been the most disappointing moment. <laughs> wow. <laughs> now that you've worked on this movie, now you need to save yourself. <laughs> wow. Uh, I, I already know where I'm going when I die. So it's okay. I'm not worried about that one. So it's cool. <laughs> what geeks you out the most? What geeks me out the most? Um, I don't know that that one I struggled with when I was thinking about that question, like what geeks me out the most. I mean, I'm a huge star Wars fan. I don't, I don't know if you can see the, like the poster behind me or anything like that, but Oh, no, you can't, but you know, I have like a Rick and Morty poster, like right here and on that wall. And I have all kinds of like sci-fi stuff. So I'm a sci-fi nerd, but pretty much anything star Wars would, would geek me out massively. Cool. That is awesome. That is awesome. What turns your geek off? Uh, people that try to argue with me that Star Trek is better than Star Wars. 
Can't we all just get along? Right. Exactly. Can't we all just be friends? Come on. Yeah. Oh, man. What fictional character would you like to meet the most? Which fictional character? Mm-hmm. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You know, Why? Ewan, Why Obi-Wan? Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan Kenobi. He has just been, uh, you know, he's daddy. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is just one of those guys that, you know, you, you see as just a real awesome mentor, father figure type thing. And, you know, not to say that I don't have a father figure in my life because I do. Um, and I love my dad. But he's not Obi-Wan Kenobi. So <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Dad. I love you, Dad. I gotta go with the wise wizard man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry sorry, Dad. You know, I just have to take this lightsaber to you now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Adam Driver even. Uh, when you know playing Kylo Ren, meeting Kylo Ren would also be really cool, I think. That's cool. That's very cool. What fictional character would you like to meet the least? Ooh. trying to think about that one because there's there's so many to pick from that i would just <laughs> want to punch in their face so bad um i can't think of one off the top of my head so maybe maybe we just get that one now. <laughs> that's totally understandable you know or you know at least you're not the guy who killed john wick's dog or something like oh that, god you know? no no <laughs> oh no now you reminded me you reminded Uh-oh. me of theon Greyjoy from game of thrones because he's the one who kills his dog so now i gotta say my answer freaking bolton <laughs> yep i can nope. see that yep totally understand that see i'm glad i jogged you just a little you jogged bit. me a little bit what's your favorite geek word phrase quote pose uh well i've i've recently been into the cyberpunk series um and cyberpunk 2077 and and the tabletop game as well as the video game that just came out and they use a lot of really cool lingo in there so like choom which is friend um you know let's delta get the hell out of here or something um or preem you know awesome cool you know i kind of like that new lingo i think i'm gonna adapt it into my everyday language see what people do that's very cool. That is awesome, man. That's a good one, actually. I like that a lot, especially because I played the game for a bit, so it was pretty awesome. I'm on my second run through. I can't get enough of it. That's awesome. That is awesome. So Xbox, of course. Yeah, I have the limited edition one too. Uh, of course, I have to collect it. Uh, the you know limited edition Spider-Man PS4. I have to have that one too. Oh, okay. That, that's understandable. Collectors got to collect, you know? Of, of yep. course. Of course, of course. We understand. <laughs> no, neither of us understand that <laughs> at all. <laughs> you know, what is, your, what is your ideal geek occupation? Ideal geek occupation. Uh, great question. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I guess, I don't know. Uh, Sith, maybe. That's true. That'd be a pretty decent occupation, you know. Just hunt down Jedi for, for the rest of my life until, okay. until another Sith apprentice comes, takes along, kills me. Yeah, it could only be like one, right? Yeah. Exactly. At least he didn't say stormtrooper or something. You know? yeah, yeah, no, no, they no, miss no. everything. Exactly. 
What kind of Marine would I be if I went stormtrooper? I'd miss that. You know, if I, you know, what would be funny is if a Marine went stormtrooper, they can't miss, right? Marines have to be efficient up to 500 yards iron sight. So could you imagine a Marine as a stormtrooper not missing? And then his commander's like, what are you doing? It's like, what? I got the target. You're not supposed to get the target. You're supposed to miss. <laughs> He'd fail. He'd fail. All right. You're to the janitorial division now. <laughs> What geek occupation would you not like to do, though? What geek occupation would I not like to do? Uh, <laughs> easily be the janitor of the Death Star. <laughs> I would hate no doubt. that guy. Or be, uh, <laughs> or be Matt, the engineer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's good. That is good. All right. Michael, are you ready for your final question in the geek seat? Uh, this, is for, this is for it all, dude. For all the marbles. Oh, yeah. What is your ultimate geek fantasy, dude? My ultimate geek fantasy would be to have my own role on a uh, Star Wars show, albeit, um, you know, Bubba Fett, the Mandalorian series. The uh, I think even now uh, there was a rumor release that Ahsoka Tano and... Anakin Skywalker are getting their own spinoff. And I am so for it right now. <laughs> I am excited. And if I just know they never film in the U.S. They never film in the U.S. It's always New Zealand, Iceland, some of those other foreign places because those are the most magical, exotic places that you can think of that are like out of this world, right? But if I just got so lucky for them to come down to the Disney studio down here in new Orleans and even just throw me in like a suit, like they did with Simon Pegg in the, you know, Force <laughs> right. awakens movie. Just even if you couldn't recognize me, I would just be like, yeah, I'm that blob. I'm that guy. <laughs> that is awesome, man. That is awesome. I think most of us have had that fantasy somewhere along the line. If you haven't, I can't trust you. No. <laughs> that is cool, dude. Well, Michael, got some great news for you, sir. You've made it through the geek seat. Congratulations. Huzzah, huzzah. <laughs> Mr. Bye -bye. Mike Gordon, so young man, what he's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $16.08. Oh, fantastic. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, that's, uh, it's our pleasure. And uh, are you got anything that you're working on now that you want people to know about or... Oh, uh, well, right now I'm just kind of putting myself out there, uh, trying to land auditions or get okay. auditions, even, uh, get those speaking roles and see if I can, you know, really put, you know, punch a hole through this industry and, um, you know, fulfill a legacy even. Cause I don't know if you know this, but my great there is Victor Moore. And a lot of people don't know who that is, but Victor Moore was a big time actor during the silent film and talkies. Mm -hmm. Uh, so having, having that heritage, there's a little, just a little bit of pressure, but to, uh, <laughs> you know, f fill those shoes and, and bring back that legacy. So, um, nothing anytime soon, but, uh, well right now, I mean, but hopefully something soon, well, you'll, you'll be seeing me on your, on your big screens. Absolutely. You guys can say that you knew him when, so check out his, uh, now you've got, uh, we'll have links in the show notes for your, 
you have a website, social media, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, I just emailed y'all the uh, links to my Instagram, Twitter, my IMDb awesome. Pro card. Uh, if anybody wants to find me on Facebook, I do have a fan page, uh, full name, Michael Lloyd. Uh, the handle is, uh, I think, Michael Lloyd Fan. Very uh, cool. I appreciate you guys for having me. It's been awesome. And uh, yeah, Michael Lloyd Fans is the handle for that page. Uh, and that's where y'all can find me. Fantastic, awesome. Well, dude. when you do get uh, when you do get stuff to promote, feel free to come back, man. We'd love to have you back. Oh, it was a blast. I'd love to be back here. Awesome. And maybe we'll have you up for a main topic sometime. Right. Awesome, dude. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. Thanks All right. for having me. Y'all have a good one. Thanks. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back. And we're going to talk about the 20th anniversary of Spirit of the Way. Everybody, Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. It seems these days, if you're a classic rocker and you get to that stage in your career towards the end and you've done everything, that there's sort of four options and you can pick one, two, three, or all four, but it always seems to be the box set. And by the way, if you've never heard the song Box Set by Bare Naked Ladies from their masterpiece uh, debut album, Gordon, go check it out. It accurately predicted these career retrospective box sets that everybody does now. And it's a brilliant look at uh, fading fame. Um, but anyway, there's the box set, the Vegas residency, the documentary, and the musical. And these are especially come into play if you're trying to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, Pat Benatar and her husband, producer, guitarist, Neil Giraldo, uh, who have been nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame once and did not make it in. Uh, this coming November 10th through 12th, there will be an industry preview of their new musical, Invincible the Musical, featuring their music and based on the story of Romeo and Juliet. It takes place in Verona and Juliet's suitor Paris is the chancellor who is seeking to destroy the progressive resistance movement. Kind of sounds like Romeo and Juliet slams into Queen's We Will Rock You musical. Uh, no word on whether there's any new songs for this, but uh, I guess if the sh industry showcase goes well, the machinery will crank into motion to get this to off-Broadway and possibly on-Broadway. Uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony was this past weekend, so we'll have a few weeks downtime, and then we'll crank up that machinery again, and we'll see if Pat Benatar is on this upcoming nomination list that we'll see in January. Stay tuned for all of that. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment, and we'll catch you next time. Time to grab your pillow and join the Geek Father in Little Bit for discussions on current, nostalgic, and speculative happenings in pop culture. Nerd news, fandom histories, deep dive discussions, reviews, and more. It's like listening to your closest friends have a nerdy conversation. So sit back, relax, and let the Blurred Nerds podcast embrace you with their warm, goofy goodness. It's nerd goals for your ear holes, right here on the ESO Network. Walt Disney Studios presents a Studio Ghibli film. Honey, don't take a shortcut. You always get us lost. From master filmmaker Hayao Miyazaki. What is it? Come on, let's go in. I want to see what's on the other side. Be here. 
Get out of here now! What? Leave before it gets dark. You've got to get across the river. Go! I'll distract them. Don't be afraid. I'm Master Haku. No! I just want to help you. No! In worlds seen and unseen, where spirits are transformed, <laughs> and sorcerers rule, <laughs> the witch Ibaba controls you by stealing your name. If you completely forget it, you'll never find your way home. Your name belongs to me now. One girl's future depends on her judgment. Aren't you getting wet out there? I'll leave the door open for you. Her courage. It's Haku! He's hurt! Haku! Haku! This way! Her loyalty. Haku helped me before. Now I want to help him. Everyone, I need my shoes and clothes, please. And remembering one thing above all else. I want you to know my real name. It's Chihiro. Walt Disney Studios presents a Studio Ghibli film. Experience a magical movie phenomenon. Embraced by all the world. Let's go! Prepare to be spirited away. Welcome back to Earth Station One. Now we are back with the 20th anniversary of Spirited Away. Uh, Mike, did you remember to let the guests out last week? Because I see some familiar faces here and... The only thing is, Alex is missing. I'm yeah. kind of wondering. You don't <laughs> well, see you a know, car. We don't see you, a carcass back there. Do I was going to say we, when you we, keep we got two, hungry, there was only bones. When you yeah, was, you keep two people in the airlock for a week, um, they're going to get hungry. They're going to get hungry, and uh, yeah, we do have uh, two of uh, two of our regulars with us, including, of course, Ashley Pauls from the ESO Movie Crew. Hello, thank you for having me back. Although technically I've been here the whole time, just wandering around the station. So why not come back? And our good friend Chip is here too. Hey guys, um, just whatever. I don't know which one of you guys left the fridge in the back room, but it was crawling the last time I was back there. So one of y'all might want to check that out. That's for the that's drawer. normal behavior for it. Um, you know, it's it doesn't it doesn't. It was one of Dr. Scott's uh, inventions. It's okay. <laughs> no, no. I th- experiments, we'll say. Yes, um, it's better. <laughs> um, all right. So we're going to talk Spirited Way. Uh, big anniversary, 20th year. Uh, it's hard to believe that it's been around for 20 years. Um, I say that every time we do an anniversary episode because it just makes me feel older. Um, and uh, it was a big deal when it came out. Um, we don't have Alex here, so I will go over the, uh, I did a little bit of research as far as the box office goes. Um, it's obviously, since it's a Japanese movie, it was huge in Japan. Um, I mean, just huge. It, uh, uh, it made $13.1 million the first three days, beating the previous record for an animated movie set by, I think, uh, Miyazaki's, 
uh, film right before this, which was Princess uh, Mononoke. Uh, and if I'm mispronouncing any of the names, titles here, please forgive me because uh, I do not mean any disrespect. It is certainly my bad. I've tried to do some research on some of these names uh, and languages, but uh, I, I, it's not native to me to, uh, you know, so. Um, but as far as the box office goes, it went on to become the highest grossing film in Japanese history, not just animated movie, the highest grossing film. Like this, well, this blew like all time attendance records. Um, it surpassed even, I mean, Titanic made an impact there as well, but this like beat the crap out of the Titanic. Um, and, uh, and then it was released in the States too, to a much lesser degree. Um, it didn't even gross like half a million dollars a year. Wow. Which is a shame. Well, at least, uh, yeah, in its opening weekend, sorry. Um, I think uh, it ultimately grows around $10 million. Uh, but in, And that was in 2003. Um, and uh, it took a while. And it, didn't, it wasn't shown in a lot of theaters, uh, despite the fact that Disney kind of helped distribute it and, and helped uh, actually produce it. John Lasseter uh, uh, oversaw, I think, the uh, American release of this, including helping cast some of the voices. That's why John Rosenberger is concluded. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's pretty obvious. He didn't there. stand out there. No, not at so, all. <laughs> so, yeah, it didn't make a huge impression. But then, you know, I think as far as Miyazaki's movies goes, it did make the second most impression. I think a lot of people in, a, in the United States who weren't in the know of anime uh, were uh, first heard about him probably with Princess Mononoke. That was the first one I saw. Um, and, uh, and then this one uh, did win a lot of people over though. I mean, critically it was great. I think it actually won best Oscar for animated film that year as well in the United States. So, I mean, that's, that says a lot uh, about that, uh, about its impact. Um now, uh, first of all, we'll, we'll talk. We'll, we'll go down to Ashley about what was your experience. What's your experience with anime overall? Had you ever seen a Miyazaki movie? Have you seen this movie before? Um, no, this was my first time watching Spirited Away, and so I feel like there's sometimes a lot of pressure that comes from watching a classic so many years after it's already well-regarded and well-reviewed. It's like, oh no, what if I don't like this? Like, what does this say about me and my taste in movies? And then historically, anime has not been a genre that I particularly connected with. I have a lot of friends who really enjoy it, and I think that's awesome, but it's not something that has just really spoken to me a lot in the past. And I do have to admit, I didn't really love Spirited Away. It was not a film that I necessarily enjoyed, but I still feel like it was a valuable experience to watch it just because of the importance of this film to cinematic history and what it brought to animation and how it maybe brought anime to a wider audience. So even though it wasn't um, my favorite film, I still felt like it was very valuable for me to watch it. And I feel like there's still some interesting things that I'm looking forward to talking about with this movie. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, when we're, you know, putting together our crew for our spinoff of Earth Station Ghibli, like it's, you probably should not be. Um, I would probably it. not be the best crew member, but I, I really do feel it's good for me to get out of my cinematic comfort zone. And I feel like even if a movie doesn't 
speak to you personally, you can still get something out of it. Like it's good to not just stay in the same rut of movies. So Mm -hmm. I, I always appreciate ESO getting me outside of my lane a little bit. (laughs) Well, we try also something, there's something to be said for having the, I guess, for lack of a better term, negative opinion of having somebody to go to point out, because sometimes with movies like Miyazaki, it's kind of like Spielberg movies. You can get so wrapped up in the name and the picture that it's kind of nice to have somebody to go, um, that doesn't actually make any like sense. And it's like, <laughs> I've watched it 20 times and my brain is kind of filling in the details. Like, you know, it's that, what is it? The Mandela effect. My brain's kind of going, okay, just, we're going to, yeah, I, so that, that actually would probably be, that's actually a really good thing with these movies sometimes. But I do understand, uh, you know, I've, I haven't watched, you know, uh, all the classics, so to speak. There's a lot of times where, uh, you know, I'll come up in conversation with some folks about a movie and they'll be like, you haven't seen that, you know, and then there's some pressure. Like you said, when you watch those kind of movies, it's like, oh, I better like this because this has a good reputation or people are like, oh, this is in your wheelhouse and that kind of thing. And it turns out not so much. But um, but uh, and we'll talk about my experience with anime a little bit um, in a second. But Chip, what what's your experience with anime in general and Miyazaki? Um, okay, so with Miyazaki in particular, it's kind of like, again, it's kind of joking we're referencing that we we're all in the Dune episode, because I kind of came to Miyazaki the same way I came to Dune, which is my dad, who mm. is a full-on, was a nerd in the 60s and 70s, read these books, and he found Miyazaki before I did. Spirit Away, I specifically remember, like, as a kid, I, well, okay, not as a kid, but um, I remember, I'm not that young. I remember like seeing the trailers for this when Disney was like distributing it and trying to promote it. I remember not seeing it in theaters, but then seeing it show up on movie shelves. And I think that was the first time I saw it was through a DVD. I don't remember exactly, but I came to Miyazaki through my dad and he, he loves a lot of like Nausicaa and the Valley of the wind and some of his older ones. And Mm so he actually encouraged me once to sit through when I think it was TBS had all of the Miyazaki movies on like a stream one year to just watch them all. And so as far as general anime, um, this will date me. Um, for anime nerds, I started watching Robotech in the '80s, and um, kind of been going ever since. So I'm not as big into it as I used to be. I am aware of the anime culture now and the shows that are popular, but I'm not. I don't watch them as regularly. And uh, and and where do you put Spirited Away? Um, well, did you like it when you first saw it and has it like, has it, has it impact changed over the years and where do you put it? Where do you rank it? Um, I'm going to get some hate for this, but it is, it is a beautiful movie. And again, kind of going to the Dune reference, it has a bit of a Dennis, a, a, a villain of like, there's some really pretty scenes that really don't make any sense unless you kind of go look at the little booklet, you know, it's like, I remember it was one anime movie came you anime movies. And when you go buy them at the Sam goodies used to come with little booklets where they would explain all like the backstory of the series that was supposed to lead into this. And there's a few scenes like that in spirited away. Um, as far as anime, pretty much anything by Miyazaki. I mean, it's a bit like talk, talking about Walt Disney himself mm-hmm. kind of, there's really not a bad one. Um, but I would put this definitely top five top spots. Got to go to either. Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind and Castle in the Sky. And so one of those two are my top two. And actually I have a huge soft spot for the Cat Returns, which if you've never seen, I recommend, though 
If you didn't like Spirit Away, it is also very much a bizarre fairy tale movie and it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Mike, what about you? What's your history with anime in general and uh, Miyazaki in this film? Well, anime, I go back probably to the, gosh, I probably want to say late 80s, early 90s. Uh, Kira was my first introduction to anime. Well, if you want to go even further, you also had Marine Boy and you also had Kimba the White Lion and Speed Racer, you know, going all the way back. And, you know, then you also had, you know, you, we also had, of course, you know, what was it? Uh, Battleship, the one with the, uh, oh yeah, Star Blazers. Star Blazers and, you know, Yamato. Exactly. We had that, you know, so that goes even further back for me. You know, I've touched on it and I've, you know, a lot of people go, what? Speed racer? That's anime. It's like, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. And we, I grew up on it. It was on set. It was on, you know, channel 20 growing up, you know, it was not even, you had to go to PBS or something to see this. This was every day we got to see, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, and then seeing Akira, which we've been having on our to, to review list <laughs> yeah, we since have. we've started this podcast. <laughs> no, and next year, maybe I think next year it's definitely going to be on the list. Well, they've been promising a live action Akira for how many years now, too? Yeah. Well, they're waiting and for us to review the animated one first. Of course they are. Of course they are. But, and so with this, with this artist, I saw the Flying Castle movie and mm-hmm. was amazing. It was blown away. I don't know why I didn't see Spirited Away at the theaters because I was living in Seattle at the time. And I even remember the art house that was playing it and it played it for quite a few weeks and we had made plans to see it. Actually, I think nine 11 happened, you know, or something in that point. Mm -hmm. So that probably distracted me from it, but that's no excuse. So I saw it for the first time last night and I fell in love with this. Both Judy and I watched this and we were both riveted to the screen. And like we said at the beginning of the show, because of this movie, a lot more of Dragon Con makes sense to me now. And some of the costumers that we've seen, Hmm. which is pretty damn awesome. So, you know, and now I'm going to, you know, think of myself every time I go to a buffet, not to become the parents. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh yeah. Um, I, uh, as we've said on the show before, and similar to you, Mike, I, I mean, I grew up with uh, Speed Racer, Star Blazers, uh, Battle of the Planets, Force 5, um, you know, that kind of stuff. So I was pretty, like, lightly familiar, we'll say, with anime, but not really on a feature film level. As a matter of fact, I probably have not seen, I don't know if I've seen any anime movies in the theater. Uh, I think almost all the ones I've seen, I've either rented or bought the DVDs or, or whatnot, you know, um, over the years, including, uh, these movies by, uh, Miyazaki. I, the first one I saw was, um, Princess, uh, Mononoke, right? Um, and that was impressive. Um, but I will say, uh, and I did watch Spirited Away as well. I was impressed by both of them, 
when they were released on on DVD. But um, it was much like <laughs> much like with Dune. If you had asked me what the plots were um, over time, I would have been like, I don't remember. I remember a few images, uh, but I don't remember the actual like plots and stories. And and part of that is me because my memory is just not what it used to be. Um, but the other part of it is that, um, I don't know that, uh, well, in some cases they're either, they're either too complex or they're really simple, really, really, really simple. And there's just a lot of fantastical fluff, you know? Um, and, uh, and I'm not saying that in a bad way, because I think that's really, um, what sort of makes, a lot of these movies uh, special is because the imagination that it takes to create some of these characters and situations is absolutely crazy. Um, but yet in a, in a really good way. Um, and, uh, and so I watched spirited away recently this weekend and uh, re <laughs> uh, rewatched it, I watched it again for the first time it felt like. Um, and uh uh, I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, I think I might have enjoyed it this time more than I did the first time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but there are some, some things that are just crazy in this movie, just really crazy. And it, you know, I, most of the Miyazaki movies are really long. We're used to animated movies being like 90 minutes, less than two hours, certainly. And at least his, most of his epic movies are well over two hours. And it does feel like at a, I don't know if it's just a switch in me that goes, wow, this is a long movie. <laughs> like I just, um, uh, it, yeah. Cause it, there are times where I'm like, yeah, you probably could have cut out like a couple scenes here and, and made it a little shorter and it would have not lost anything. Um, but, uh, overall I enjoy it quite a bit and I enjoy his work. And I, especially, I also want to give credit too to Lasseter and the Disney team, for the um, U.S. version of this, the the dubbed version of this, because I think it, it, at least to me, now I can't compare it to the original Japanese version, but it doesn't feel like it's been, like the voices are forced. It feels like it's very much, uh, like all the voices seem like they're inherent to the characters. And it seems like it, it seems like an accurate, uh, and it makes sense as far as, from that point of view, because I'm used to like a lot of the early stuff that was just voiced by whoever and just translated by whoever. And you didn't, you got like the Japanese version is really different than the American version. I certainly got a, a sense from here that the Japanese folklore and the culture, um, despite it being really seeped in that, that the that the, that the English version was still very accessible. Mm, very much so. And it actually really surprised me when I was watching the credits and it's like, oh, baby, Tara Strong. <laughs> <It was like, laughs> yeah. A lot of, a lot of uh, voice actors that we know, uh, you know, would know of anyway, um, are in this and, and some really cool voices. Uh, uh, Suzanne Plagette and uh, David Ogden Stiers. Uh, and of course, since it's Disney, Pixar, whatever, John Rosenberg is, uh, it easily, um, um, heard in this movie um i think he's got a bigger part in this than any of the pixar movies um but uh um what is something that you enjoyed about spirited way ashley well i would say that um i found myself i did connect with the protagonist and was kind of drawn into her journey and really rooting for her to 
be able to successfully get back home and about how you have this child who's been deposited into this magical world that's completely unfamiliar to her is somewhat frightening. She's already going through the experience of she's moved away. So she's not feeling comfortable in this situation in the human world. And then now she's in the spirit world. So everything like the, all her foundations, everything that she's used to being normal has been taken away from her and that she finds a way to keep persevering and wanting to help people too. Like she has a kind heart and wants to help people out. So I thought that was cool to see the film from her perspective. I thought the music was beautiful too. It really did a good job um, sharing the emotion of the scene and kind of adding and highlighting to that. And there's some really beautiful animated sequences. I thought in particular when the train is going across the water and you can see the little islands and you have this melancholy thought provoking music playing. And it's, it's really quite um, like an introspective, beautiful moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And good point about the, um, you know, the, the protagonist, the heroine, the um, it's definitely, you know, the lots to be said for the hero journey, but there's also that sort of subset of hero's journey, which involves like, uh, I don't know if it's really coming of age, but certainly it's these uh, these girls like Alice and Dorothy who go to these uh, amazing, fantastical worlds and and learn to grow up. Um, and I certainly think that that's the case of uh, what is her name? I know it's it's Sen that they call her, but um, I can't think of her actual Chichiro. Is that Hero. right? Yeah, the hero. Jihiro, sorry, thank you. Um, ten years old, and and I will admit, like in the beginning, it's like, oh my god, this is a like I'm gonna have to listen to her because she's kind of annoying, right? Um, <laughs> she seems to be like crabbing about everything and not really into stuff, but you know, certainly uh, once things get overwhelming for her and her reaction to it, um, and and she learns to just kind of be chill and be cool with it um afterwards afterwards because uh, uh, like you said she's got a good heart and that's a good thing too so i appreciate stories like that um what about what about you chip what's something that uh you appreciate about this movie um i was actually gonna say that one of the things i kind of like about it is the okay minor anime nerd tangent there is a recurring joke if you talk to anime nerds about um localization which is the idea of taking jokes that are inherently japanese that are based on like japanese wordplay and trying to make them american Mm -hmm. and a lot of times it's done on the assumption that americans won't get it if it's too japanese so there's like one of the famous cases is in the original pokemon anime they have the onigiri the the rice cakes and they refer to them in the anime in the dub the, the four kids which has its own horrible history um, as being donuts. And I remember as a kid being very confused going, that doesn't look like a donut. And it's these rice cakes. So one of the things I really liked about the Disney version of this, which is a whole, um, is the fact that this is still very much, this is one of Miyazaki's like most culturally inherently Japanese stories. Like the, the Japanese culture makes a huge portion of this, the bathhouse from the bathhouse to the spirits to how almost every other character is so spirit in some form or another. And that it all very much requires almost a sort of base level. So the idea that none of that got like shifted, it wasn't, this is my witch's den and these are demons. It, it really was. They just kept everything almost as is. And that was actually kind of something I really liked that you didn't get this kind of really 
Because that's you look at anime movies from the nineties, and some of those are just like, oh, this is just this is painfully not yeah. obviously not what they were saying at the time. And plus, you get like characters that are big with like high pitched voices, and you get like this all sort of. Sometimes you get this sort of weird. You know, like like they just went who with with whoever was available or something. I don't know. It was really strange. Sometimes sometimes you with the voice work on those. Um, but to your point, I think I would not be surprised if at uh, twenty years ago or so, when I first watched this, when they were sitting around eating the rice cakes, I probably thought they were real, like just like cake cakes, like you know, like we, like we think of cake. Um, but now I know enough about rice cakes and everything like that. I could re- easily recognize what she was eating. Um, and, and, yeah. and also thinking to myself, like, damn, I'm hungry. <laughs> it looked, yeah. It looked like it was like, I know that like we've gone for dim sum multiple times and we've gotten, uh, the sticky rice and that's mm-hmm. what it looked like. The sticky rice cakes. And that's oh, what sure. it kind of looked like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mike, what about you? What's something that you, uh, took away liking from spirited away? Just the beauty of the story and the tale and, the character growth that Sen or, you know, Chikiro went through was just amazing. And I loved, you know, cause she went in scared and hating everything because she was moving from her friends and everything. And she was getting the, you know, she, she always wanted flowers sent to her, but you know, she got it as a going away gift. And, you know, then, you know, she didn't want to see the new school that she was going to be attending. She didn't want to see the town she was going to. She just didn't want to accept anything. And then by the end of this, she was ready to take on the world. You know, she has, you know, she proved herself to be the bravest of them all and be able to rescue, you know, the hero of the story and, you know, and be the true character who grows in this and be able to stand up to all these different characters. And it's awesome. You know, there was times when she was crying and hiding under the blanket, but she rose above it. And that's what was awesome about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a gorgeous movie. And I think it's a very simplistic tale, um, but it's told in a very, unsimplistic way i mean it's very like there's a lot of things and a lot of uh to us certainly to me who's not familiar with japanese folklore and culture that much um a lot of these things just seem like what like like you know like the large baby and uh no face and uh you know a lot of the other imagery that's there you know, I'm just like, I, you know, I don't know if this means something to their culture. Um, and, and even though it doesn't really mean as much in ours, I still felt like most of it worked. Like, I didn't feel like anything was, I mean, even as crazy as some of the stuff was, I didn't feel like anything was like completely out of place. Although the big baby was kind of, kind of just like one of those things I was like, okay, this is weird. Um, I almost but, uh, expected the big baby to be something deformed or something, not just a big baby, you yeah. know, and everything, you know, high, especially living underneath the blankets and the pillows and everything. I was expecting something grotesque to come out or something, especially, you know, with what his mother looked like, you know, it was. Well, that's the other thing, too. It's like, is that, that she never says mother. She just says baby. So it's not like it's, she says daughter or son or anything. And you're just like what like is the relationship here um 
and yeah, visually you've got those things and, and they're amazing. Um, Yubaba visually is amazing. She looks like, uh, Phyllis Diller, uh, big time. Um, uh, and I think Suzanne Plazette was, was doing the voice. I think she kind of tapped into the Phyllis Diller vibe as well there. Um, but I think for me, uh, what I really appreciate about uh, Miyazaki's work is the little things. Um, and and it just really, like, it's amazing to me how much animation can really make you feel even more so than a live action movie. Because there were times where, well, certainly, all right, I'm not going to lie. After the pig scene, I was like, I've got it. I've got an urge for Asian food now. I'm just, I got a craving. I need to get some, I need to get some Asian food, Asian cuisine. It needs to be sent to me. <laughs> well, there is that too. Um, but like the, the attention to detail, like that I'm just impressed by, like you can, there's a scene where uh, she first arrives there and she goes into the uh, bathhouse and she's going on, she's walking up to one of the floors and I think the floor is like marble or whatever, but you can actually like feel like the cold hitting her feet of the marble floor and the wetness of the rain when it's raining. You can almost feel the humidity um, when you, when, you know, the stink spirit comes in, what they think is a stink spirit, right? And, and, you know, you can actually almost smell based on the character's reactions Baseness on the based on the like the thickness of it and everything. I mean, it just it yeah. You don't need to be told like audibly that it's a stink spirit because you're like this is gross. Like it just oh, it was disgusting. The slime across. and the sludge and oh, uh, that was that was such a great scene though in the tub and it was just like you just were like the whole time your face is repulsed from watching you know while you're watching it. Yeah, that scene really worked for me. I think if I had to pick like one scene that maybe didn't work for me as well, the sequence uh, was no face, the no face like sequence where no face takes a lot, like takes a lot of characters in sort of adapts to them or takes on their characteristics and gets huge and starts like tearing up everything. And as much as I thought that no face was kind of a cool character an interesting character. And I can understand why people cosplay it. Cause it is kind of visually cool. Um, and he's kind of creepy, you know, he's kind, kind of, of. Creepy he's kind of like, eh, eh, eh. like <laughs> that's, that's the way he sort of speaks. Is this sort of like, eh, eh. Um, uh, but um, that whole sequence where he's going crazy and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if that really added to anything at that point. It was just kind of like, I think we just need to move on from this because I don't know where it's going and it doesn't really, I don't think it really affected the plot in any way. Um, but I don't know if anybody else felt that way, but um, was there uh, any other moments that uh, you appreciated or that you um, want to put your attention to? Maybe you didn't appreciate so much, Ashley. Well, it's interesting because just, um, as a matter of personal taste, I sometimes have a hard time with connecting with surreal type fantasy. I have to laugh. My husband loves that kind of thing. So actually I probably should have watched this movie with him because he loves things that are kind of bizarre 
and creative and don't necessarily fit into the typical box that you would expect it to. Yeah, there were quite a few instances with like the bouncing green heads were a little bit creepy. And then you have the man with all the spider arms and legs. So some of that was like, this. there's some eerie stuff in here. And for me, it that kind of made it a little harder for me to connect to the story. But again, it's not something that would necessarily change because I feel like certainly not every movie needs to cater to my personal taste. And sometimes it's kind of interesting to watch something that is very far out of your comfort zone and something that's just totally different and to expose yourself to that. I would be interested in learning more about uh, the Japanese stories and folklore that this film draws from because you can tell that there is a richness. There are layers to this movie that's um, not necessarily just everything's not explained to you as the viewer, which I think is good for a movie film should reward your willingness to dig a little bit deeper. So I would be interested in learning a little bit more about some of the influences and stories that this is drawing from. Yeah, the uh, I, I get the the impression that um, that even though it's steeped in Japanese imagery and folklore, um, uh, that it's not it's not I, I, the, as far as I could tell, it's not based on any sort of one particular legend or story. Um, it seemed like uh, Miyazaki kind of had a few ideas. Um, and according to one source I read that he like, he really wanted to, like, he feels that the, the bathhouse, which is not something that really in our culture is anything that's we can relate to at all. I don't think. Um, but if, uh, you know, obviously in Japan and with Asian cultures, that's a big, like, you know, that's a big deal. Um, but he has like, so he's setting up stories around the bathhouse kind of thing. Um, and that's why that in some ways it feels like this has a like two or three stories in one movie, like almost mm-hmm. an anthology, but not quite because it's all fit into one, her story. But um, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand like all the imagery as well. Uh, Chip, is that something that you, that, that you understand or that you want to know more about or that you've sort of, this movie has sort of inspired um, I would say that the best way I can describe it, and this is again my my limited understanding. I'm not going to claim to be an expert on Japanese culture by any stretch of the imagination, because that is kind of like being an expert on American culture. Like you can go depending anyway. Sure. Um, but this is a bit the the bathhouse, the way the spirits and everything kind of work is it very much works on the ideas. Kind of like the best comparison for kind of American audiences is it's a bit like a random castle having all of Aesop's fables characters running around. Like you have foxes that can talk and bears that can talk. And these guys are involved here. Plus there's this little bit of tying into like Shinto where everything has a spirit and everything has this kind of, so like the guy that has six arms is supposed to be a spider spirit. And uh, the woman that helps out Shihiro throughout the whole story, like the one that she befriends early on, Mm. I think she's supposed to be a weasel spirit, which is kind of why she is the way she is. Um, you know, they mentioned the radish spirit. So it's all these, there's this very much, like I said, one of the things I did like about this was that it's very steeped in the culture and they didn't like shortchange it and try to like, just make them random monsters. They just, they like kept them as spirits and didn't, again, like you said, it was kind of nice. They didn't explain like, okay, this is supposed to be a, you know, a, a raven or this thing or this. And so there's a lot of that kind of stuff that I really liked in this, but yeah. 
I mean, it that that is a a Pandora's box that you could go into. <laughs> but I think I think this movie like wants you to do that. It wants you to go there, oh, yeah. right, and open up that box. Well, yeah, it's it's again. I think it's very much. I would say a lot of it is very tied into into like I said, a lot of the cultural aspects of the idea of everything having spirits and the idea of shrines and the idea of holy places and non-holy places and like the fact that you hear his parents get in trouble not because they ate the food but more because they didn't like get permission and so it's sort of that there's also that kind of almost universal I guess for lack of a better term Aesop's fables thing where there's this almost universal story lines that run through where this you know somebody transgresses in the and almost you could go with the European side of fairy you know somebody transgresses and then has to make amends or has to compensate for it somehow and save them so I, it it's very interesting, and there is a universality to it with the whole, you know, spirits and that you could, like I said, if you swap that around to fairies, you would have the same story, and it would be Western European as opposed to Japanese. So, yeah, there does seem to be, and the limited movies and and manga that I've read and whatever, there does seem to be this sort of um, sense that, um, and somewhat humorous. But this somewhat sense that the spirit world, spirit characters, the spirits of these things, do not appreciate humans very much. <laughs> like, like oh, uh, even throughout this movie, yeah, they had the mean. whole thing. Yeah, the stink of a human. Oh, right. you know, let her eat our food for two days; you won't smell it at all. You know, and it's they just oh, you know, kill her, get this human out of here. You know, all these different things. They were ready to, you know banish her for being just human and yeah part of that is also miyazaki the guy has a you were talking about like the female empowerment miyazaki kind of like how disney was known for disney princesses Miyazaki's kind of known for two big trends environmental message and uh female heroines and so and not not saying it's a bad thing i'm just saying he has this mm-hmm. so some of that is miyazaki some of that is, is very much miyazaki likes to have this environmental and it's not a bad thing but it's you know, that's where some of that's coming from, too. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, from, you know, look, I know a lot of people sort of uh, have uh, in the States or whatever have have this conception that anime is all loud and, and action and 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 tentacles. Right. <laughs> and and it's nice. It's nice to see that this is I mean, and certainly that exists. I'm not going to lie. That exists. But um you know, robots and space and stuff like that. But, but it's nice. I think what's really good about this is that this is sort of counter programming of that. And there is a lot more of this. Um, but, you know, I think he's sort of the master at it. Agreed. Um, you mentioned that uh, in addition to, um, you know, female protagonists um, that uh, environmental issues is a big thing. Uh, do you see that? You guys see that in this movie at all? Oh God, yes. The the, the smokestack, yeah. The stink spear, yeah. But yeah, the the huge bounce of smoke piling out of the smoke t- stacks of the of the bathhouse were just you know horrifying. If it was real life, well, and you know it was just, and then the wastefulness of the abandoned amusement parks as the father was putting it at the beginning. Mm. And, yeah. You know, I guess, oh, is these... that a real thing? Do we know that's a real thing? 
Yeah, and that's <laughs> I've never been to Japan, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a small little island, so I mean, if they are wasting time or wasting space with that, that is kind of a weird thing. But I, I didn't. I would imagine they didn't come out of nowhere. It seemed to be that he was making a statement about that. Even No Face himself is like all about consumerism and about you know gluttony and kind of the greed culture aspect of more, 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 more. Give me, give me, give me more. Everything can be solved by money, and that's sort of I think again one of the reasons he's in the movie is to kind of mm-hmm. you know again sort of poke that idea. Oh, yeah. showing the amount of greed and showing you know that you know not everything could be bought with money, and she couldn't be bought. And that's what was just amazing about it. And he couldn't understand that. Yeah, it's interesting because I, you know, now I think about it, it didn't seem like they kept showing the smokestack, but I didn't get the feeling that that was coming from the bathhouse. I almost got the feeling like that was coming from somewhere else, like the humans were doing that. Um, Because I was like, what in the bathhouse is causing like this kind of pollution? Like they're not like making anything or burning anything that I know of. well, Except they had for those, those little things of coal. Yeah, I was going to say the little pieces of coal. <laughs> That's where I assumed it was coming from. Was the yeah, little? Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably you right. Know, I just hadn't made that connection. Where they were going? Those get little ba- coal carriers, the little fuzz guys, were so cute. Yeah, go back to work, or you'll become one with the, uh, you know, the fuzz again. You know, and it's just like the cinders. That was it. They were living cinders, basically. And yeah, I loved I, when they. I loved when they were starting to pile. You know, they all saw that uh, she'd lift. You know, lifted the one to help the one out, and then they were all going, "Oh, me too, me too!" And it was like it, there was just so much to think about and love in this. It was just, it was just awesome. Yeah, I think um, also in doing my research, it did kind of like hit me that I think another environmental message is seen with uh, Haku himself, like the young boy slash dragon, because. He can't remember his name. Uh, he used to be a river or the spirit of a river, but then that river doesn't exist anymore because of uh, colonization or, yeah, bef- because they were like development and they got rid of that river or whatever. And he's sort of this like lost, lost spirit. Um, and, uh, and yeah, he's an interesting character as well. And uh, I did appreciate him. Um, and that storyline was kind of interesting because you kind of expect like, you know, he's going to know his name and he's going to be able to get out of there. Um, instead he decides to stay and, uh, and sort of make the place a little bit better, I guess. Um, but, um, yeah. And you got the dichotomy about the, it's really interesting because you got this dichotomy between these two witches, like the witches sisters, which we've seen a lot, you know, like, you know, it's a, a wizard of Oz again. Right. Um, but, um, you get the feeling that we, uh, that, um, is it you, Baba, right? Uh, you get the feeling that she's like the good one until we actually meet the other one. And then we find out, oh, no, she's the good witch. <laughs> and you, Baba's not the good one, um, which makes so much sense. Because, yeah, someone even more evil than you, Baba, would have been uh, a challenge. Um Anything else about uh, about Spirited Away as we're getting sort of to, to wrap up our little celebration here of the movie? Um, anything else about it that um, – actually, I know that it, it didn't, like, you know, ring all of the bells, but was it – would you recommend it? Uh, would you be curious or interested in trying a Mizaki movie again? 
Yeah, I would definitely recommend it to people, especially if, like you were saying earlier, people have preconceptions about what anime is. Like it's a genre that there's a lot to it, just like within science fiction, there's so many different facets of that. So if you're curious, go ahead and try it. You'll get something interesting out of it. Even if you don't like it necessarily, it's not for you. You'll still get something interesting out of it. And I would be interested in uh, trying another one of these movies and just maybe it could be that the story will connect with me better, or it could be maybe now's not the right time for the story for me. I'll watch it in 10 years and maybe I'll feel differently. (laughs) I just learned that with, I didn't love the book Dune and now I have not stopped thinking about the movie Dune since I saw it a couple of weeks ago. So I'm, I'd be willing to even give it a chance further down the road. Interesting. Interesting. And, and now's a good time. Uh, you know, I mean, it's never been more easily available, I think, because if you have HBO Max, um, they have a whole category of Studio Ghibli movies, including a many, many, many of uh, Miyazaki's movies. He did a, a bunch. I think most of like half his career was with Studio Ghibli. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Is that fair to say, Chip? Um, yeah, I think so. I will also say I think there are there are a lot of anime fans who were clapping when those all got on HBO Max because getting there's there's been that's not quite the worst one but there's been some studio fights about who owns the rights to distribution for one of these so getting them all in one place was yay (laughs) (laughs) again it's 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 you know everybody's got those series where it's like the it's uh what is it. I guess the best one's like Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's owned like four different studios own the rights to them, and you kind of got to – getting them all in one place is just like, yay. Like Marvel. It's like all the Marvel things being in one place on right. and Disney Plus. It's like, yay. Yes. Yeah, well, now you're ex- more experienced with his work than others. Is there, are there definite – I mean, I, I don't think it takes place in one like Miyazaki world or universe or whatever, but uh, there's not an HMU, right? Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, the the um, there's there's some crossover. Um, there's there's some like little it, it, like for example, um, the cat that shows up in the movie, the cat returns, is based on a figurine in a movie called The Heart Remembers. So like, there's that kind of crossover where occasionally you know somebody shows up, but it's not like you know. Everybody's in the same universe. It's not like Thanos is going to show up and snap his finger. <laughs> no. I don't know. I think if Thanos showed up, it would be very amusing to watch the Studio Ghibli characters, <laughs> the the collection, because there are some. Now, I will admit, there's some powerhouses in this universe where it would be like be interesting to watch that fight. Um, uh, Chip, uh, I would imagine that you would recommend this. So, um, if people do watch this and like this, where should they go from here? What are your What are some of your favorites that they should definitely check out? Um, if we're going continuing on Studio Ghibli, um, I would say that actually, for starters, kind of like with Ashley, if you're not a big fan of this one, I would actually go back to Castle in the Sky, and uh, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, speaking of dubs that are very interesting, um, it's got um, Andy Dick as one of the uh, uh, pirates in this movie, and the man sells it like he actually. It's it sounds really bizarre, but it's really not bad. Like it actually really works because it's this group of uh, without going into too much sky pirates, these plane fighter pirates, and they're supposed to be sort of these, you know, three stooges ass constantly getting you know dunked on by the heroes. So 
having Andy Dick in the 90s kind of doing this voice really works. Um, also, I would recommend, and I know it's a cliche somewhat, because I can, I can already hear a thousand anime fans groan, like uh, voices crying out in groans and are suddenly silenced. Kiki's Delivery Service. And, it's, and I say this to guys as well as girls and, uh, out there because it is, it, is a, it, is a, it is from a women's perspective, it is not a chick flick. The entire movie, there's no, it's not like a whole, the whole movie's about her getting with a boyfriend. It's much different than that. So those are the, and then of course, Howl's Moving Castle, highly, definitely one of my top Miyazaki movies. I love that movie. But those are like the three easiest to kind of jump into. And then my top would have to go to one of my tops is Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind. But I'll warn you, if Spirited Away is a little crazy for you, <laughs> Nausicaa takes place in a dystopian future with giant bug monsters, all right? So, oh, man, that might be a little say, intense for me, at least right now. It's very weird, but it's, it's, it is very much a... Though I will admit, it has a swordmaster for, again, going to a Dune reference, it has a swordmaster played by Patrick Stewart. <laughs> there's a swordmaster in the movie voiced by Patrick Stewart. I swear to God, and I'm he I made it so. <laughs> yeah, so it's like so again, kind of circling back to Dune. We keep you know circling. Um, swordmaster. He doesn't scream atomics in this movie, unfortunately, but it is kind of fun to watch. Gotcha. The spice flows everywhere. Um, uh, Mike, what about you? What's uh, your last word on? Maybe not the last word, but the, at least for tonight, uh, last word on Spirited Away. Oh, if you haven't had a chance to see any of these films, this is not a bad entry-level movie to come into at all. It's very easy to follow. It You have to have an open imagination about this. But you also just have fun and just enjoy the ride because it is magical completely. And like we talked about on Dune last week, the cinematography on this was just amazing and i could understand why it won best animated film for that year for 2001 mm-hmm. it was just awesome yeah absolutely i mean I, it goes without saying that i recommend it as well um I, you know like i said i hadn't seen it in a while and i'm glad i rewatched it again and it's got me kind of in, interested in rewatching some others um and uh, i do think to Ashley's point, I do think it's an acquired taste. I mean, it's not something that, I mean, if you're used to, but as Chip pointed out, I think it's, uh, and, and Mike too, that I think it's a good entry point uh, because if you're familiar with Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland, the story you're going to get, right? The imagery and some of the other characters might be kind of out there for you, but if you're interested, I mean, if you're familiar with that, and and to Chip's point, they're, they'll, even though they're from a girl's perspective, they're not chick flicks uh i don't consider no, any of those movies chick flicks i think they're just epic no. fantasy stories that you know take place uh that that happen to have a woman or a girl as the protagonist rather than a, a young boy or a hobbit so um exactly <laughs> so anyway well cool well it was good uh, experimenting with a with a new genre with you guys um and uh, of course you know next week we'll go right back into the MCU. So, uh, so, uh, we're all going right back into the, what we usually watch, but, um, it's good to be, uh, spirited away for a little bit, um, if you will. So, um, uh, we're going to be right back and get creative.
Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and today this geek girl is talking about the movie Dune. So I have now seen Dune twice, once on HBO Max and once in the theaters, and this movie was amazing. I really love the casting of Batista. He is the perfect beast for Bond, in my opinion. I do wish we got to see more of just what a horrible, awful person that that character was, but what we did see, he did great in. This movie is just beautiful, and the acting is great, and it was just a wonderful adaptation of the story. I cannot wait for the second part of it, since the entire tone of the story completely changes from the first film. I was also happy that they went with a younger actor for Paul, since he was younger in the books, since the original Dune movie had an older actor playing him. The sandworms looked really awesome, and the settings were just amazingly portrayed, and all the actors did such a great job portraying their characters. I do hope we get some of the deleted scenes later on, since it seems they did film a lot more with the Mintats, and while those who did not know what they were kind of got an idea, it still wasn't super clear, so I do hope they add in some of those scenes, just so we can actually see them, and because, you know, a lot of times directors' cuts do add them in, so it would be nice to see what didn't make the final cut. I really love how they portrayed Paul's dreams. They gave you an idea of what was to come without being super meme even if it did kind of feel like a perfume ad for Zendaya at times. They still did a great job of portraying his dreams. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? You're going to have to listen to find out. Welcome back. Now it's time for the Creative Outlet segment, and we're here with friend of the show, Mark Wheatley. Welcome back, sir. Hi, guys. Great to be here. Nice to see people. (laughs) So, Mark, you have a Kickstarter going on. I do? Oh, yes, I do. Um, (laughs) Actually, yeah. I started it about... Yeah, yeah, two? (laughs) No, I I, uh, started it two weeks ago. In less than six hours, it was fully funded. Nice. Whoa! Wow! I never had that happen before. I, I got a little hint something was unusual when Kickstarter actually gave us a project they love an hour before we launched. Oh wow! Yeah, that's usually awesome. Usually they wait until you launch to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we're doing the Edgar Rice Burroughs Visions of Adventure portfolio. And for people who don't know, I've been working with the Edgar Rice Burroughs folks going back to the early 1990s. And before that, I lived in a treehouse in a corner of the Great Dismal Swamp. So Tarzan and I were kind of like soulmates there. You know, I I went without shoes all summer and jumped over snakes and things. So it was, you know. So anyway, uh, I started out doing comics for uh, Edgar Rice Bros, and then um, I've illustrated books. I've done development work for streaming TV shows for them, and I've also uh, done designs for a proposed live uh, stage show that we were working on with the Cirque du Soleil team. And so all of this has resulted in me having a wealth of artwork I have generated around Edgar Rice Bros, and uh, people have been asking me to share that. And so now we're doing this portfolio. We started out offering eight prints. We're up to 14 prints now because of bonuses. And uh, the ones I've seen so far are gorgeous. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
yeah, it's, it helps since I've done so much work that I've just chosen the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, the more we go, I guess we're in danger of dipping into the bad ones. But so far, I think I've got a little, little, you know, safety room yet. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you're the one putting it together because if it was me, I'd be like, I there, I don't see any bad ones. We're just going to have to make it like <laughs> 500 pages long. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank sounds you. about right. That sounds about right. Well, we're kind of covering that a little bit in that there's two free books that come with this now, too. And one of mm. them is a digital sketchbook, and that includes 32 of my paintings. So there'll be more there that you can see. And the other free book actually is my inspiration. So I think, you know, I was thinking before we went on tonight that I think it was the first time I was on with you guys, you were shocked to find out that I collected old magazines. I remember I that. One of you, I do remember one, that. Yeah. Yeah. One of you said, "Really?" <laughs> <laughs> and I have over five thousand magazines going back to the late eighteen hundreds up to about nineteen sixty. Oh, and, that's awesome, though. That is awesome. Yeah, and the illustrations in those things are the seminal juice that fuels everything that's come since then. I mean, every generation of artists has looked on those, and then inspired the next generation. And so I've been inspired by a hundred years or more worth of illustrations. And up until about 1925, as of January, this stuff's all in the public domain without even doing any research. So I'm pulling from my very rare materials to make a 42 page inspirations of adventure book to go along with this thing. Dude, that is awesome. And, you know, that's cool that you get that as from your inspiration and as for your designs and everything. And then when I've seen your work, I can totally see it, which yeah, is you awesome. Can tell. Yeah, it definitely has that uh, aesthetic, but more, um, you know, not a copy, more updated. Mm, exactly. A modernization or an homage is a better way to put it. And I've, I've seen that. And it's that's what I was always drawn, even before I think I met you through the show. I know I've seen your work and I've like, gosh, I was impressed with it. Now that I get to know you, it's even more so. So it's awesome. <laughs> what, well, it's what, cool. what would you say is, uh, you know, the, the, the big thing about Edgar Rice Burroughs that inspires artists so much? Um, I guess it really would depend on the artist. Some of us are attracted to the action. Some of us are attracted to the creatures. Some of us are attracted to the naked babes. <laughs> <laughs> um, some of us are attracted to the concepts. Uh, I mean, you, I don't know that he thought of himself as being overtly political or anything, but he used to do outright parodies of society trends by creating a simple society that one of his characters would stumble across on another planet or out in the jungles where they would just take a certain personality type or, or social idea to its absolute extreme. And so there's all sorts of hooks that he can get people with, but ultimately he was a very visual writer. And I mm, think that has very much the so. ultimate quality that we look for in illustration. Well, that's what, that's what attracted to me too is, to his tent, his Tarzan, and then also his John Carter and everything was just, yeah. you know, seeing it in my head and visualizing it. And then even when I read the comics or I saw the movies, it was like, it didn't beat what he wrote a lot of right. times. Right. 
Interesting. Yeah, you know, the uh, first time I was exposed to Burris was watching the old Tarzan movies with Wise Miller and Baxter, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, like a Barker, rather. And um, I read one of the books and suddenly it was like, oh, now this is a good character. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. they were entertaining movies, but they were a pale representation of what were in the books. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and then the more modern movies, I don't think have even come close to it. Well, I don't know. The Legend of Tarzan wasn't bad. I mean, yeah. they felt the need to muck around with the dates, but other than that, it wasn't bad. They've made some decent movies. The first half of, um, uh, oh, what was the name of it? Greystoke. Um, the first half of Greystoke I thought was really quite good. Uh, but the second half, again, they felt the need to muck with it. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Always so, do. So, Mark. How much longer do we have with the Kickstarter? And about two weeks. It ends on November thirteenth, Saturday the thirteenth. Okay, and this this because goes that's out. our lucky day. <laughs> and this goes out on the fourth, so you still have plenty of time, folks. Yeah, absolutely, so definitely. Yeah, and join like even though, like Mark said, it's funded. Like if you want some of this stuff, it's gonna it's not going to be available after the Kickstarter is over. So get it now if you want to make sure that you're going to get some of this exclusive items that uh, he's got. And some most of them, like I said, are gorgeous. Um, uh, Mark, before we let you go, what uh, do you have a quick update on Frankenstein Mobster? The last uh, Kickstarter do. that we yeah, I do. Uh, we've been very happy to uh, announce our two main leads. Um, uh, uh, Daniel uh, Roebuck mm-hmm. is going to be playing Frankenstein Mobster. Um, now you have to understand, Frankie is four different characters because he's a dead cop and he's three dead mobsters all sewn together into one body. That's right? true. That's true. So, and, and I don't know that Mark Redfield and I had thought about this too much before we went into it, but it's four different acting roles, right? So, uh, uh, Daniel Roebuck is playing uh, Terry Todd Frankenstein mobster, and Mark Redfield is doing the three mobsters in oh, wow. three different voices. And then uh, Debbie Rashan, the Queen of Scream, is mm-hmm. going to be Terry Todd, the daughter of uh, Terry Todd. I, it's spelled differently if you can see it. Print. Uh, <laughs> I kind of figured, yeah. Yeah. And so those are our two main leads. We just got confirmation today of another really cool actor who will be involved, and I can't announce him tonight. I wish I could. Probably by the time – wait a minute, you're going to be on on the 4th. Yep. Yes. Oh, I can. I can announce it then because this won't be going out. Okay. So Dick Diazel is going to be playing one of our bad guys. Yeah, yeah. And and here's a real coup. I know you won't see this one coming. Count Gore Duvall will be playing Varney the Vampire. Awesome. Very cool. Nice. That is awesome. God, Dick, Dick, I've known since I was yee-high, so that's awesome. (laughs) I met him when I was on his show in, like, 1985, I think it was. Wow. Sitting in his... uh, I had to sit in his uh, uh, coffin on on stage. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> I was part I was part of his Captain Twenty crew. So you know. were you? Yes. Oh, wow, so, cool. We'll talk about that off the air, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad that that's making progress and exciting. I can't wait to hear it, man. It's it sounds like it's coming together really well. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. We're recording all over the country right now. That awesome. is awesome. That is awesome, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's take a break, and then we're going to get out of here. 
Thanks for having me. Hello. I am the monster of the Monster Sci-Fi Show. You may be confused, but I am the superior version of the monster. And not just some variant. Much like me. This podcast is burdened with glorious purpose. I'm here to say this podcast delivers timely sci-fi and pop culture news plus movie and TV commentary reviews. In the end, is this not simpler? Subscribe to the Monster Sci-Fi Show. It's sci-fi. From a certain point of view, the Monster Sci-Fi Show is part of the ESO Network. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank our guests for joining us again. Well, I don't think they really actually had a choice since they were locked in all week. <laughs> uh, Ashley, thank you so much as always. Oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure. And you even had time to write for ESO this last week while you're still stuck up here. I know. I that's figured awesome. I might as well find something to do. So, And I'll be here next week again, too. So I guess I'll have to find something to amuse myself <laughs> with. Well, I loved, in all serious, I loved what you did with your daughter for Halloween this year. Oh, thank you. I was very excited. She went as a Princess Leia, which comes as no surprise with people knowing how much I love Star Wars. So I'm yeah, sure that was a shocker. That it wasn't, the only surprise is that it wasn't Ray. Yeah. Yes. I have to admit, like, <laughs> I already have plans for her birth, first birthday party, and it's going to be Ray themed So I wanted to save it for that. So... <laughs> Oh, that is awesome. 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 Well, thank you. Thank you again for everything you do for us. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed a lot. Exactly. And Chip, thank you so, so much, my friend. Not a problem. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ashley, but the escape pod's only a one-seater, so. Uh, you know what? That's, I'll, I'll that's all right. I'll next week. Yeah, save yourself. Save yourself. You know, it's like maybe we'll resurrect Alex for next week or something. <laughs> The second coming, the the second coming of Alex Autry. You know what can we say? That is awesome, Chip. Anything you want to shout out about? Um, I will say, like I said, I will reinforce what I said earlier. If you are interested in these at all, Miyazaki is a great jumping-on point for for anime. If you're interested at all, watching his stuff. Um, If you haven't already seen it and you were at all into sci-fi at all, I recommend go. I recommend seeing Dune. If you feel safe, I recommend seeing in theaters. But that. Please don't take that as an encouragement. The COVID nineteen pandemic is still going crazy. It is just as good as uh, it is. Well, it's always just as good, but it is on HBO Max. And you know they did clear the sequel, so we've already you know you don't. There's no need to go to make money. It's already got a sequel coming, so we're already good there. Um, and saying this solely as myself, not as a representative of any group, organization, or others out there, get your shot, get your vaccine, please. I've lost a dear. Fr- I lost a friend, and another friend of mine lost her husband because of this mess. And I can't stress this enough. I can't encourage you enough to go get the shot. You know, it. Please, it. You know, it's the only way we're going to get through this is to go do that. So, sorry to end on that down note, but. <sighs> All right, that's it. We're going home. Shut off the lights. That's it. We're, we're done for the night. No, but in all seriously, folks, like I say at the end of every show, please go get vaccinated. Yes, please. It, it doesn't cost you anything. It's free, and it's going to help society. It's going to help those around you, those you love, not just yourself. And you know what? If we want to get back to a normal world, you know, it's herd immunity is not going to work. You need to get vaccinated. And that's what we got to do. 
So, but I like having 5G. I mean, it makes GPS really easy to find myself when I need to. Exactly. That's how your wife finds you all the time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the chip she's got on my back, on the back of my neck that she, we got when I got married. Chip so, has a yeah. chip, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Well, she, I won't even mention what she has in the jar, so it's okay. So, and Mr. Mike Gordon, thank you so, so much, my friend. <laughs> thank you for lightening the mood before uh, you got my shout-out in, uh, although I'm going to down it a little bit. Because um, my shout-out goes to uh, – look, even though – last time I gave a shout-out to my uh, the, the team I'm rooting for for the World Series, the Atlanta Braves, which I like a lot. But I'm uh, – as most people know, I am a diehard member of Red Sox Nation and uh, very sad to find out that uh, Jerry Remy – Passed away a couple days ago, um, and uh, he was – I kind of remember him as a player. He played for seven seasons in the 80s, uh, late 70s, 80s in, uh, for the Red Sox. I kind of remember growing up, as, and he was there. But really, from most of the 80s on till present, he was the voice of the Red Sox. Whenever I think of a Red Sox game, I hear his voice. And uh, – and yeah, he's been battling uh, cancer. So, um, he's been battling cancer, particularly lung cancer. And uh, over the last few years, he's been really, really um, uh, a, a very uh, much a um, the public struggle with lung cancer um, was very much public. And like I said, and he wanted to make sure that everybody was aware of the dangers of smoking. Uh, I think he famously said, or uh, I can hear him in his voice saying like, um, it's, it's really easy to start. It's really difficult to stop. So, um, it, you know, just uh, another thing to be concerned about is, is just, yeah, there's no real good thing that can come from smoking. And, and I say that cause I used to do it too and, uh, um, don't do it. And, uh, and, and we're going to miss Remy a lot. Um, and, uh, um, I just, you know, the friends, the family, Red Sox nation is in mourning a bit. Um, not only because we didn't make the playoffs or didn't make the world series, but also because we lost a, a legend. Yeah. Sad when that happens. I remember when various announcers have passed and they were the voice of the teams that you grew up with. And it's really, really tough when that happens. And, you know, because you feel like you lost a family member in some ways because you grew up with them. And Absolutely. So, and he, was from, he was from Massachusetts. I mean, he was a local boy that, you know, really lived and breathed Red Sox baseball. And, whew, that's a it's a tough loss. Nope. Totally makes sense to me. Sorry about that, dude. Sorry to all the Red Sox nation out there. And speaking of next week, we are going to be back again. And we are going to be talking about this little tiny studio that is putting out this little foreign film. I think it's called Eternals. <laughs> I think we're about due for another Marvel movie. So, you know what? I am looking forward to this one. This one's been a big question mark with me because this is Jack Kirby's world that they're hopping into. This is, you know, what Kirby brought, you know, he did, went to DC and did the new gods and then he came back to Marvel and he kind of brought the new gods to Marvel. And it was real interesting to see and read back then. So I'm going to be interested to see what happens when it comes to the big screen. 
Some folks have already seen it. They've loved it. I've heard other people go, eh, really concerned about this one. So we will be talking all about that. So, of course, join us next week. And, of course, we'd love to hear from you guys, as always. Feedback at EarthStation1.com. Please let Ch- let Chip know that you are watching these movies. He will make him so happy. And, you know, we, we he- might even invite him back. Oh, maybe. I'm not so sure about that. You know, it might leave me food in the station this time. I don't know. He's he's used up his allotment of uh, guest spots. Well, you know, he only (laughs) is allowed so many a year. So, you know, it's like we'll have to wait and see what happens. You know, and also it depends if he can catch Dr. Scott's refrigerator, as we like to say. So. We'll have to see. Thanks for listening to the Air Station One podcast. Of course, as always, we're powered by NSC. You can find them at nsclivetv.com. Remember, you could also find Air Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including now Amazon Music and, of course, Audible. You know, you think Audible's mostly for books, but it also has podcasts up there. So you can definitely hear Air Station One up there. And, of course, as always, subscribe and tell all your friends about us. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mr. Mike Gordon also, and Ashley Pauls and Chip Johnson, thank you for listening. We will see you here next time on Earth Station One. Stay safe, hug your loved ones, and like we said earlier, please get vaccinated, folks. We appreciate you, and we want to have you guys around for the next 600 episodes. We'll talk to you later. Peace, and we are done. Boom. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. That's it. The show's over. It's time to head home. See you next week here at Earth Station One. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping at the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. <laughs>